Anyway, I'm not here to talk about that. That was my little announcement. But I'm here to talk about somebody else. And before I tell you who that is, I want to ask you a question. You know, um, you know when you're at school and in the playground or whatever, you always uh, had those times where you were picking teams. Do you remember this? Picking teams. And um, everyone lined up against the wall and there were two captains. And like, I'll have you, I'll have you. And um, sadly, some of us were towards the tail end to be picked or whatever. It's always very embarrassing, isn't it? But uh, I want you to imagine that all of the different characters in the Bible are lined up against the wall, except for Jesus, who's here with us today. So you can't pick him, but, um, because you've already got him. But if you imagine all of the characters of the Bible lined up against the wall, who would you pick uh, to be on your team? By that, I don't mean a sports team. Um, I mean more a team to do some ministry or to get some work done for the Lord. I wonder who you would choose. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you, actually. If you know anyone in the Bible, you can play this game. Who would you pick for your team? Who would be your first pick if you could have anyone except for Jesus himself? Who would you pick? Okay, well, um, I'm not going to give you too much longer than that, because uh, obviously there's no right or wrong answer to this particular question, uh, but I want to talk to you this morning about the person that I would pick um, if I could choose. Um, so before I tell you who that is, let me give you a few clues, see if you know about this person. Uh, one clue is that his church leaders um, were so appreciative of this guy that they, they gave him a nickname, a new name, and they called him um, Son of Refreshment, or uh, Son of Encouragement, almost like if there was a if there was encouragement, this would be his son. He was, he was like, you know, we've been having some pretty sweaty weather recently. This guy was, imagine you're hot and sweaty, and then someone hands you an iced, cool glass of water or, um, or a beer, uh, and it's cool, it's chilled. It refreshes you, doesn't it? And this guy, when you met him, he was like that. He was like being given refreshment. Uh, a couple of other clues, in case you're not there yet. He, um, he led a church in a place called Antioch, and that was the first time... Because of how he led the church and how people changed, it was the first time that people were nicknamed Christianoi, uh, which is where we get our word Christians from, little Christ, or people who are like Christ. In some way, this guy led a church that was so much with people who had become like Christ that they got that nickname. Um, and uh, this, I'll give you the final clue. Um, when people wanted to sum up this person, they had this little saying, it's used twice of him, he was a good man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not a bad slogan for, or, or title or sentence to sum up your life. Would you be happy to go to your grave with people saying that about you? He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. I'd be pretty pleased if that was written on my grave at the end of my life. Would you not? There could be worse things, couldn't there? Uh, to be written on your grave. I don't know if you've considered what you're going to have written on your grave yet. I see it's probably more for other people to consider um, than you. But uh, I did hear of a couple of amusing ones. Here's one by uh, of a, a lady called Ezekiel Alia um, from Nova Scotia. And written on her gravestone was this. Here lies Ezekiel Alia, aged 102. The good die young. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know Ezekiel Alia, but uh, that's not such a great statement, is it? <laughs> There's another one, David Jones, written on his, uh, on his gravestone. He looked up the lift shaft to see if the lift was coming. It was. Um, 
And then finally, another one was on a lawyer's epitaph, uh, a lawyer who was called Sir John Strange, and uh, was written on his, Here lies an honest lawyer, and that is strange. Um, <laughs> so I don't know what you're going to have written on your gravestone, but what a great statement to have, a good man full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. Well, who is it that I'm talking about? Any guesses? Barnabas, you're right, uh, with those three clues in mind. I want to look at Barnabas this morning. I want to tell you four things about this man that should inspire us to live lives that are, if you like, being a Barnabas. I want to encourage you to be a Barnabas. A man or a woman full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And uh, four things. The first one is that Barnabas was converted. We read in Acts chapter 4, as you'll see on the next slide, in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, we read this simple statement, Joseph was a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Now, do you notice that actually he wasn't called Barnabas? That was a name that was given to him by the church leaders in Jerusalem. His birth name was Joseph, and he was a Levite, and he lived on a nice island called Cyprus. Now, that's interesting in itself, isn't it? We don't know the detail, but somehow this man really changed. He really got converted. We know that because there's this whole thing in the Bible where people get their name changed. Have you noticed this? It goes through Old Testament into New Testament. And whenever someone's name is changed in the Bible, it is because they have had such a radical encounter with God that they are so not the same anymore, they need a whole new name because they've become a whole new person. It's a radical, what we call, conversion. You think of Jacob when he was wrestled with God. God took him on in a physical confrontation, and after that encounter, his name had to be changed, because he wasn't the same anymore. He, was he would be called Israel. You think of Simon. Simon was uh, his birth name, but he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. He had a revelation that Jesus is the Son of God, and because of that encounter, Jesus changed his name and said, you will be called Peter. You think of Saul, who had such a radical encounter with Jesus, he would be called Paul. When a name changes, it's because a man has changed, a woman has changed, they've been con converted. I don't know, we don't know how that happened for him, but we know that it happened. And we know then that the essence of true Christianity is that people are converted. People's lives are changed. Now, if I mention the word converted or conversion in the four walls of a church, it sounds quite a traditional sort of religious word, doesn't it? But actually, if you, if you want to understand this term, think outside these four walls and realize that all over the place, even this morning, as we sit here today, all over the place, people in St. Albans and the surrounding area are getting certain aspects of their lives converted. <laughs> Just not the right ones in many respects. Because this is what we call a loft conversion, isn't it? Yeah? People are getting their lofts converted, they're getting their garages converted, they're getting their barns converted. People are getting involved in acts of conversion all over the place, aren't they? Amen? The sad thing is, St. Albans is more con concerned with converting their houses than with converting their hearts. There's nothing wrong with converting your loft, but it'd be more important to convert your heart. <laughs> and that's what Jesus Christ comes to do. Now, the reason I use that as an analogy is it's quite a helpful one. If you think of a loft conversion... What effectively happens is that you take a space, it was there before, in one sense nothing's changed, and yet you so transform it from the inside out that nothing's changed and yet everything's different. It's in the same place, but it's a totally different space now. 
from the inside out. It's got a whole new purpose and a whole new significance. Whole new things are done there now that were never done before. It's changed. It's been converted. And that's what happened to Joseph. That's what happens to everyone who really meets Jesus Christ. From the inside out, we are changed. On the one hand, nothing's different. We live in the same family. We live in the same house. We probably keep the same job. Nothing's different, and yet everything's changed. That's true conversion. And I encourage you this morning, you may be seeking planning permission to get your loft converted or your garage converted. Fine, do that. If you've got the money and it's the right thing to do, go for it. But I encourage you to be more concerned to make sure you've received planning permission to get your heart changed. (laughs) The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who comes in to change us from the inside out. Have you been converted? Now, can I also just point out to you that that's not the same question as, are you religious? Or do you go to church? I mean, I'm, in that sense, I'm preaching to the converted. You're, you've made it here this morning. Well done, by the way, because it was quite difficult to get here this morning, wasn't it? The road's shut down the end, wasn't it? We, we needed a real-life angel to come alongside and help us here. Corvus was there. He, ter- he walked alongside our car like the, like the angel that he is and gave us the directions to get all the way around the, the back way. Um, we were talking, actually, weren't we, but the angels probably do look a little bit more like this than the sort of baby-faced cherubim, don't you think? <laughs> Angels raised on biltong and you can catch a rugby ball, those kinds of angels. Anyway, the point is, the point is, well done for making it here this morning. It wasn't easy to get here, but just because you're here does not mean you are converted. Do you notice with Joseph that he was a Levite? So before he got converted, he was from the priestly tribe of Israel. I mean, this is the equivalent of being from a family of vicars. You know, every generation, for ten generations back, the family's been in the, in the clergy. He was from that kind of family, and yet he hadn't been converted. You see that? It's important to realize that just because you're here does not mean you're converted. Young people, just because you're from a Christian family is not the same thing as saying that you are a Christian, that you're converted. Everyone needs to have this transformation, this encounter with Jesus Christ. There's a great old story from uh, down in Cornwall where um, there was a a vicar called the Reverend William Haslam. And uh, the reason it's an amusing story is because he was a vicar, but he hadn't actually been converted. And the way he got converted was during his own sermon. So he was preaching... And as he was preaching, he began to realize that he had come to believe what he was preaching in the moment of preaching. And so he stopped partway through his sermon and got converted. (laughs) And there's a great picture, a painting you can buy in Cornwall of um, one of the sort of deacons on the front row standing up and pointing and uh, with a sort of exclamation coming out, the Parsons converted, um, in a a Cornish accent. It's amazing, isn't it? Sometimes even vicars need to get converted. Even a Levite needs to get converted. Maybe even you need to be converted this morning. You who are from a Christian background, you've been to Sunday school, nevertheless, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Has he come into your life and is he changing you from the inside out? That needs to start today. Amen? Joseph was converted. He became Barnabas and as a result of that conversion, secondly, he got committed. He got converted, and secondly, as you'll see on the next slide, he got committed. Um, And uh, here we read in the next verse, Barnabas sold a field that he owned and brought the money 
and put it at the apostles' feet. I think we've just realised why they called him the son of encouragement. <laughs> if you put a whole a pile of money at the church leader's feet, they'll probably call you encouraging uh, as well. So that was what Barnabas did. He brought some money from a sale of a field and said, I want this money now to be used for the extension of God's kingdom. He, he got committed. He got committed from a context of compromise. So again, if you know your Bibles a little bit, you'll know that there's a certain thing about being a Levite. Joseph was from the Levite tradition or tribe. Levites were not allowed to own land. And that is exactly what Joseph, the Levite, owned. A lot of it, land. So here's a Levite who not only is he religious, but he's even a compromised religious person. He owns the very stuff that he wasn't meant to as part of that religious tradition. And in this act then, in one sense, as I see it, he's breaking with that compromise of the past. He's taking that which represented compromise in his life, he's selling it and he's bringing it to the Lord and saying, now Lord, it's for you and for your glory. That's a radical act of true commitment, isn't it? When we truly get converted, the next phase is to get truly committed. And sometimes that means that aspects of our lives that have represented compromise, things that when we weren't converted, we didn't even see them as a problem. Only now they are a problem because now we're converted and now we need to bring that compromise and turn it into commitment. I think of a, a lady who became a Christian and as she got converted, um, she suddenly had a conscience that was awakened to the fact that on her computer she had a whole load of downloaded music and videos and so forth that were illegally downloaded. She shouldn't have owned them. I mean, she'd owned these things that she'd had this stuff for years. But now that she was converted, she recognized that that actually is compromise. There's stuff in my possession that I'm not comfortable with anymore, and so she got rid of it all as a sign of new commitment to Christ. You know, I wonder what there is in our lives, in the way that we've done our finances, in the stuff that's on our computers, in the way that we've done relationships, particularly romantic relationships. What is there in our lives that actually represents a form of compromise? You know, Barnabas is an illustration of someone who not only got converted, but he also got committed. Now, in his case, it was financial. You notice that. He put his money where his mouth was, as we say. If, if your mouth is saying you're a Christian, well, back that up by putting your money where your mouth is. Show that. Get committed in the realm of your finances as well as every other area of life. So I'm not targeting finance this morning, um, but I am saying that for Barnabas, that was the area that needed to change. Maybe that is true for us as well. And here's how it changes. It changes because as we get committed through getting converted, we realize I'm no longer the owner of my life. You see, before we were converted, we thought of ourselves, indeed we were, if you like, the owners of our lives. We, we run the business of our lives, and we are the owners of that business. But when we get converted, we're effectively saying that we accept a takeover bid. Now, some of you are in business, you'll understand this better than I do, but if you are part of a merger or a takeover, you understand that what that means is you may keep your job in the company, but you're not the boss anymore. You've been bought out. Is that right? Is that roughly how this thing works? Well, that's how the Christian thing works. Paul, the Apostle Paul will say, you are not your own anymore. You were bought at a price. We need to start thinking with a whole new way of seeing our lives. We're not our own anymore. 
No, we've been bought out at a price. The Son of God shed his blood for us that he might buy us out of sin and darkness that we might live for him. So we are no longer our own. We don't have our lives at our own disposal. Now our lives are at the Lord's disposal. So he thought this field was his. He now converts to a whole new way of seeing life, which is, no, no, this is for the Lord now. How can I use what I have, not for myself, but for him? This is the new way, isn't it, of seeing the whole of life as a Christian. Amen? Now, um, I can't put it better than this. So let me read a piece to you that I found very helpful in summarizing this by a, a writer called Ortiz. And he says this, and he's describing this takeover bid using the analogy of the pearl of great price. You know, Jesus tells a, a parable about a pearl and the man who sells everything to buy that pearl. Well, imagine we're in that scenario. Here's how the uh, little piece goes. We um, are the buyer, and there's a seller that's like Jesus Christ, and the seller says, the kingdom of God is a pearl. And we, the buyer, say, well, I want this pearl. How much is it? And the seller says, well, it's very expensive. Well, how much, we ask? Well, a very large amount. Well, do you think I could buy it, we ask, as the buyer? Oh, yes, of course. Everyone can buy it. Well, I thought you said it was very expensive. Yes. Well, how much is it? Everything that you have. We make up our minds. All right, I'll buy it. Well, what do you have? The seller asks. Let's write it down. We look at our accounts. Well, there are five to ten savings are ten thousand pounds in the bank. Great. What else? The buyers, the seller says, well, nothing we say. That's all I have. Nothing more. Well, I have a few pounds in my pocket. We rummage around, 10 to 50 pounds. There you are, you can have that. Well, right, what else do you have? The seller asks. Well, nothing, that's all I have. Well, where do you live? The seller asks. In my house. Yes, I have a house. Ah, good. Well, the house is mine. Well, then I'll have to live in my camper. Ah, you have a camper. <laughs> that too. What else? Well, I'll have to sleep in my car. Ah, you have a car. Two of them. Both become mine. What else? Well, you already have my money, my house, my cars, my camper. Are you alone in this world? The seller interrupts. No, I have a wife and two children. Ah, yes, well then your wife and children too. Now what else? Well, I have nothing. I'm left alone now. Ah, the seller exclaims. Sorry, I almost forgot. You yourself too. You become mine as well. Everything becomes mine. The money, the house, the car, the wife, and you yourself too. Now listen, I will allow you to use all these things for the time being, but never forget that they are mine, just as you are. And whenever I need any of them, you must give them up, because now I am the owner. Now as I think of it, I can't think of a better summary of what it really means to be a Christian. That's what it means to say, Jesus Christ is Lord understand the idea of Lord, Master, Big Chief, whatever you want to call him, Boss, Owner of our lives. So everything that we have is at his disposal. Joseph became Barnabas and had a whole revolution of how he saw his life. My life is not for myself anymore, it's for him. I was uh, in Watford the other week, um, and uh, there's a kind of sort of cafe there that I go into every so often, and um, so I know, I know a couple of the staff there, and I was chatting to one of the waitresses, and I noticed as I went in, there was a sign in the window. You know sometimes there's a sign that says, under new ownership? 
And uh, so I said to the waitress, I noticed that it's, you're under new ownership. How is it going? And she said, oh, fantastic, she said. Yeah. And then she said, um, the last boss, she said, he was a right... I'll let you fill in the blank. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't a word to say in church. It's a word that belongs on Watford High Street. Uh, <laughs> probably heard it a bit too much there, actually. So anyway, he was a right... You fill in the blank. And then she said, but the new boss... She said, oh, he's fantastic. And as I was, afterwards, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, that's a pretty good summary of my life as well, <laughs> wouldn't you say? You see, my life is under new ownership. And the old boss was a right, you fill in the blank. Me, I used to think of myself as the boss, but the new boss is fantastic. Amen? The Lord Jesus Christ is a fantastic boss to have, to work for. He is a great owner to commit our lives to. And Barnabas got converted, and he got committed, and he entrusted his finance, even his finance, to the new owner. Now, can I encourage you, for the benefit of Forest Town Church, are you committed financially? Have you freed up your finances in such a way that whilst at the same time the Lord would want you to take care of yourself and your family? Absolutely. But whilst doing that, you are also looking to benefit the Lord's kingdom as generously as possible with your finances. Because that's part of what it means to get converted and get committed. And after getting converted and after getting committed, a couple of other things I want to show you. He was contrite. Barnabas was converted, he was committed, and we need to be the same. And then thirdly, he was contrite. Now, before I read this passage, you need to understand the context, that Barnabas has now been in this church in Jerusalem for a little while, and the Jerusalem leaders hear that the gospel has gone to a new region beyond just the Jews, and they're looking for someone to send to that region to handle what will be a very delicate situation. A church that's mixing Jew and Gentile is going to be difficult. If you were to box this up, you'd write on it, fragile, handle with care. And so they're looking for someone to send to be good in handling a difficult situation, and guess who they choose? Our man Barnabas. If you look on the screen, you'll see this from Acts chapter Um, 11, if you click on. Uh, Acts chapter 11 says this, News of this reached the apostle, the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them to all remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. He and then Barnabas goes to a new situation. And I want to say a few words as a result of this, a few words to followers and then a few words to leaders. And probably we're all in one of those camps. We're all followers and some of us are entrusted with the responsibilities of leadership. Let me say a few words firstly to followers. You notice that when the church leaders were looking for reliable, trustworthy, a person that they could give a task to who wouldn't go off and do their own thing, but would handle it with care and responsibility, you notice that they landed on Barnabas. Now that tells us something about him, doesn't it? He was someone that leaders could trust. Now, the challenge for us as followers is to be those kinds of people, because we live in a world that is so out to look after number one, 
We live in a world that's so keen to sing along with Frank Sinatra, best of all, I did it my way, that it's hard sometimes to, to be a follower. <laughs> you know, everyone wants to be a leader. Everyone wants to be the one who has the authority and carries the responsibility and carries the name and gets the reputation. And just being a simple, reliable, trustworthy follower, it's almost countercultural these days, isn't it? And yet Barnabas was a contrite man. He was happy to take a task under authority and do a good job. I just want to encourage us to be those kinds of people. See, most good leaders start as good followers. Amen? If you want to handle authority, you must first prove that you can live and function under authority. And Barnabas did this, and so should we. And his heart was a contrite heart that enabled him to do this. Are you the kind of person that when the leadership of FTC are looking for someone to take a ministry or a responsibility and do a trustworthy job, are you the kind of person where they see a heart that, that they can trust? A good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. That's a word to followers. But let me say a word to leaders as well, because you notice that as Barnabas takes this responsibility, he does such a good job that the whole thing flourishes. Do you see that? Loads of people come to the Lord, the whole thing grows. And you notice what he does. This is so refreshing. You notice what he does. Instead of saying, well, this is my patch, and I want to be known as the Barnabas who was the great guy who made this situation work, instead of that, he left that area, and he went and got Paul, and he brought him to Antioch. What's he doing? He's recognizing his own limitations. Do you see that? And he's recognizing that actually, I'm not everything that this situation needs. And he's actually deliberately going out of his way to get the more gifted person and to bring that gifted person into his context in order that the whole thing will flourish to a whole new level. Now that takes a leader with a big heart, doesn't it, to do that? Because if you've got a small heart as a leader, if you've got insecurities, you actually don't want the gifted and talented people to be seen in your situation because they might be better than you. Yeah, And so you actually choose people who make you look good in order to avoid anyone else competing with your territory and your reputation. But that's not the way of the kingdom, is it? That's not the way of Barnabas. Barnabas was a man who was contrite. You had John Stott puts it this way. He says he's the man with the biggest heart in the Bible. Because, as the picture shows, his aim was not to stand at the top and look good. His aim was to lift other people up from where they were to where they could be. He, his ministry was to go around his church context and pull some people up from where they were to where they could be for the Lord, bringing people up to significance. And he didn't care if, at this stage, it's Barnabas and Paul. He didn't care that in a few years' time, it will be Paul. Oh, and I think there's a guy called Barnabas who normally travels with him as well. He didn't care that the whole thing had swapped round because it was never about Barnabas anyway. It was always about Jesus. Amen? So if the whole thing can flourish better because someone who's bigger than I am can come into where I am, let's bring them in. Let's lift them up. Let's be sons and daughters of encouragement who go around the church seeking to encourage others, not making sure that everyone thinks that I'm the best, not making sure that I keep my position but going around bringing people up into their position in Christ. What a great ministry that is to have. Have you done that recently? Have you taken someone by the hand and lifted them further than they could have gone without your help? 
Have you spoken a word of encouragement that lifts somebody up to a new level of ministry? This is the ministry of Barnabas. And it's such an important ministry for every local church to have. Amen? It's a great uh, little quote. Apparently it was on President Eisenhower's desk. There was a little plaque. And it simply said this, There is no limit to what God can do through a man, so long as he doesn't mind who gets the credit. And I don't know about you, but as I think about myself, being honest, sometimes I mind too much who gets the credit. Do you know what I mean? There's something in our hearts, it's called pride, it's certainly in my heart, there's something in our hearts that minds too much, not just that good things happen, but that people think that those good things happen because of what I did, because of my ministry, because of my... Barnabas was not bothered about who got the credit so long as Jesus ultimately was famous. Amen? Let's fill Forest Town with people who don't care about their own names and their own reputations, but care about Jesus, and therefore are continually trying to lift up others to serve and bring people through. Barnabas was contrite. And then finally, Barnabas was courageous. He was converted, he was committed, he was contrite, And fourthly, he was courageous. Uh, I like this as a picture of courage. (laughs) Um, That's a courageous cat, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) I don't know if you can see that, but that is a courageous cat, and those are some pretty well-trained dogs. Um, But uh, this picture illustrates a day in the life of Barnabas where when everyone else was afraid, Barnabas, like this cat, stepped out of his front door on a brave mission to do what no one else had the guts to do. And in uh, Acts chapter 9, we read about this. If you click on, you'll see it. Acts chapter 9, here is uh, a day in the life of Barnabas, brave Barnabas. We read this. When Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Just take this in for a moment. The great Apostle Paul, as he will be known, can't get into the church. (laughs) No one will let him in, because they think that the idea that he is converted is a conspiracy. They think that he's really just playing a trick to try and expose who the Christians are, only to then round them up and put them in prison, or worse still, kill them. So they are all gripped by fear. Now think about this then. The history of the Christian church is dominated by the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And yet at this moment, he's not even getting into the Christian church. (laughs) And who is the doorman? Who opens the door? Who is the one person who has the guts to take a risk in Jesus' name, risk his life, risk his family, risk everything for Christ, and say, no, when everyone else is pulling back in fear, I'm going to go forward in faith and take a risk on this person, Paul, come on in. Who's the one person? But Barnabas. Do you notice the word but? (laughs) But Barnabas. When everyone else was afraid, but Barnabas did something in in courage. Did something with faith. Now, I don't know about you, but every church and every situation of life, we need a Barnabas. We need those moments where there's a but Barnabas. Where everyone else was afraid, where everyone else was conscious of why it was risky, dangerous, why it couldn't be done, and then someone steps up and says, no, 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 if God is with us, we can do this. But Barnabas. And suddenly there's a breakthrough moment that brings Paul in, and the whole of the rest of the book of Acts is really a result of this act of courage by one man who had some guts. 
Now, by talking about courage, I'm not talking about just some, you know, some kind of uh, macho figure. I wouldn't imagine Barnabas to be like that. I would imagine that he didn't sleep very well that night before doing this. Would you? I would imagine he didn't eat much for breakfast on the morning that he decided to take a risk on Paul. I'm sure his stomach was knotted with the kind of fear that we all feel in those moments of life where we know what we should do, but it feels scary and risky. Yes? <laughs> he's not some superhero. He's not he, he's not he-man. He's human. <laughs> he feels the fear. But this is the kind of courage that says, though I feel that fear, I'm going to do it anyway, because it's what God's calling me to do. And I will not make decisions out of fear, I will take a step of faith. That's courage. And that's the kind of courage that we're not born with. This isn't a courage that some people just are born with and some people aren't. This is a courage that is a result of what you have come to believe. This isn't some kind of motivational speech. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. You see, it was because he was full of the Holy Spirit that he was also full of faith. For these kinds of moments. The Holy Spirit is the one who communicates courage to us when our hearts are afraid. He's the one who fills us with a holy boldness that does what we would never have thought we would have the guts to do. It's what he does and what we allow him to do through us that is what we call courage. It's the kind of conviction that says, well, if God is for us, who can be against us? You know who wrote that in the Bible? the guy that nearly didn't get into the church. It's little phrases like that, isn't it, that we're so grateful to have in the Bible. We've only got them there because Barnabas took a risk on Paul. Fear can rob us of so much. And you think about this for a moment. What if he hadn't? Now, I, I appreciate we believe in the sovereignty of God this morning, So, but just suspend that belief just for a moment and think at a more human responsibility level, what if Barnabas hadn't have taken a risk on Paul? What if Paul had never found his way in? What if he'd been disillusioned with a bunch of Christians who were cowards? Think about how much we would have lost if Paul hadn't made it in. And then apply that logic to our lives and think about how much we have lost through fear. How many regrets, how many excuses we've made how many things we've pulled back from and how much potentially we've missed out on because we held back. And Barnabas is an example of a man of courage who steps up and refuses to give in even when there's risk and there's fear and there's danger. And I want to encourage you as Forest Town Church to be, to be a Barnabas. To be the kind of church that even when it's risky and even when it's a bit scary, steps forwards in faith. Even when you've taken a few hits, even when there's been a few setbacks, we are still to be those who get back to serving the Lord with courage and faith. And it might be this morning that you have been a Christian long enough to take a few knocks and take a few hits and see a few disappointments, and it's almost made you pull back from taking risks, from stepping forwards in faith, to take the safe option, to live it comfortable. You know, it's tempting, isn't it? If you've been around church for too long, it can do that to you. And actually, we need to be those who are continually getting back to that fearful, nervous moment of risk of faith. Amen? That's the adventure. That's what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an adventure of faith. And it's spelt R-I-S-K. I'll finish with an illustration. Um, the other week, I was uh, taking my 
son uh, for a bike ride. He's, he's only three, and he's just got his first bike with stabilizers. And so we went to Castlebury Park. You may know it in uh, Watford. But we came in the back end of Castlebury Park, and there's a, a sort of canal with a river that flows into it, and um, a tarmac path. So I took Joel, our son, on his bike, and I was kind of behind him, just making sure, because this is the first time he'd ridden it, couldn't use the brakes. I was kind of behind him, making sure this was all okay, and I was pretty diligent as a parent. Um, I think I did a talk on parenting here, didn't I, a few months ago, so um, this is going to really pull the rug from under that talk, unfortunately, but anyway, I, I, was, I was being a reasonably diligent parent, but I also had our dog with us, and the dog dropped the ball just in the path in front of the bike, so I, I bent down to pick up the ball, or went ahead of Joel, picked up the ball and turned round, and in that split second, Joel had veered off the um, path, and unfortunately, it sort of ran down the bank to the river. And at the bottom of the bank, just by the river, which shelved down, there was a sort of log to mark the bank, and the bike hit the log, and Joel launched over the handlebars with the bike into the river, and disappeared. <laughs> disappeared. I mean, literally, I stood at the edge of the river, I rushed over to the edge of the river, and I could see his head just beneath the surface of the water. <laughs> This was a bit of a bad moment um, for parenting. Um, so in a split second, I sort of jumped into the river, checked that no one was watching. Uh, <laughs> I did actually have a look around thinking, this is a real social services moment. I hope no one's seeing this. <laughs> and I pulled Joel out, so I got him out of the river. It was kind of up to here on me, but it was too deep for him to stand up in. So I pulled him out and stood him on the bank. And he was just soaking wet and obviously started crying. It was a huge shock for him. And then I had to go back into the river to get his bike out. We'd paid a lot of money for that bike. I wasn't leaving that. So <laughs> I got the bike out and put that on the bank and uh, climbed out myself. And there was Joel sort of shaking and crying. So um, despite how wet he was, I gave him a hug, which I felt better about. Um, <laughs> and so I hugged him for a little bit. And as, you, as they do, kids kind of calm down, don't they, when they feel, gosh, it's safe again. So I hugged him and, uh, and he stopped crying. And then I, I, I put him in front of me. And he is soaking wet, and he's just about to stop crying, lip quivering. And um, I thought to myself, what do we do now? I checked again that no one was watching. Um, and, uh, and I thought, well, we've got a choice here. You know, either this is enough to ruin the, the, the adventure and we turn back, or maybe he's actually got the guts to go on, you know, despite to get back on that bike and go on. So I thought this was quite a big moment for Joel. You know, life is small moments that have big consequences, don't they? I said to Joel, so Joel, we've got a choice we can either go back or we can go on. What do you want to do? And uh, he took a moment and then just smiled at me and said, Dad, I want to go on. And I thought, yes, <laughs> good lads, good lads, because that's an attitude, isn't it? Because you see, Joel is going to fall off his bike many times through life, even as a Christian, yeah? Metaphorically speaking, we all fall off our bike sometimes. And sometimes we don't just fall off our bike, we fall into the river off our bike. <laughs> Sometimes life is messy. Sometimes life is frightening. And yet every one of us needs to get back on our bike and go on. There's no turning back with the Lord. And the, our Father in heaven, you know, in our mess, he picks us up and he hugs us and he shows us his love for us. And then he turns to us. And I think this morning he would be asking some of us the same question that I put to my son. So son, what do you want to do? You know, from this point in life, you've had some knocks, you've fallen off your bike, it's been tough, but what do you want to do? Do you want to turn back, or do you want to go on? Every one of us has to answer that question this morning, don't we? Barnabas had to answer that question. Am I going to step back in fear, or am I going to step forwards in faith? Am I going to get back on the bike and trust the Lord again and take some risks 
for the kingdom of God. So I can ask you this morning, what's your response to that most important question? Are you going to turn back? Are you going to hold back? Or are you going to get back on your bike for the Lord? Amen? Let's take a moment to pray and respond to this. And uh, maybe the, the band just want to take their place. And uh, we can just have a moment to think through Barnabas. My call then this morning is to be a Barnabas. And as you just uh, bow your heads and pray, there may be an area of Barnabas's life that particularly has spoken to you. Let's just remember those, those things. Firstly, he was converted. He wasn't just religious, but he met Christ and he gave his life to him and his name was changed because he changed. A proper conversion. And it may be this morning that you are in church, but you're not yet converted. You've not yet put your faith in Jesus clearly and simply for yourself. What about today? And then secondly, he was committed Barnabas put his money where his mouth was. He decided that he would no longer be the owner because the old boss was rubbish. Living life for ourselves, trying to be our own boss is rubbish. But the new owner is fantastic. Having the Lord Jesus Christ as our owner is the true Christian life. Having our finances available to him, having our time and our energy and our resources available to him. Barnabas got committed. Maybe some of us this morning are conscious of compromise and we want to say, Lord, today I'm going to get committed in a new way. Barnabas was contrite. He was someone that could be trusted. He was a leader who brought other people through, who picked other people up so that they could move forwards beyond where he went. And Barnabas was courageous. He refused to be bullied by fear. He refused to get pushed back by fear, when everyone else was afraid, but Barnabas stepped out in faith. Maybe you felt that fear, and maybe you felt like going back, going back home where it's comfortable, where it's safe. But the Lord's looking you in the eyes this morning and saying, son, daughter, do you want to go on? Do you want to get back on the bike and go for an adventure again? Step out in faith again, take a risk again, be courageous. I want to invite you, if one of those four things has really spoken to you, just as we um, respond, I'd like to invite you to stand. So if God has spoken to you this morning and you want to make a response, just stand with me um, as, uh, as I just stand here at the front. I'm standing myself. I want to invite you, just stand with me. If there's something that God's spoken to you about this morning, you say, I want to get committed in a new way. I want to get courageous. I've been held back. I want to deal with compromise. Just stand with me. Stand to say, Lord, today is a new day. Lord, I want to be known as a man or a woman full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Not full of compromise, not full of fear, but full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I stand today to say, today's a new day. Things are going to change today. This loft is getting converted. It's not going to be the same anymore. This life is being converted freshly today. And just as you stand, just make it clear to the Lord why you're standing. Put into your own words your prayer of what you're turning away from and what you're committing yourself to. Be a Barnabas.
And Heavenly Father, we stand before you this morning. We stand before you to say, Lord, today is a new day in our lives. We will remember this day, the 28th of July, 2013, will be a day to remember because today, Lord, we have responded to your word and to your call. We have turned our hearts away from compromise, away from just living the comfortable life, away from living for ourselves like the rest of this world. And Lord, today we say as we stand in your presence, you are the owner, you're the boss, and we live for you. And Lord, we say though we feel afraid sometimes, we will take steps not of fear, but of faith. Though we fall off our bikes sometimes, Lord, I pray for those who've fallen off their bikes. Spiritually speaking, they've had a shock, they've had a disappointment, it's hurt. And today they stand to say, Lord, in answer to your question, I don't want to go back, Lord, I want to go on. I don't want to end the adventure of faith and just get comfortable. Lord, I step out in faith. I get back on the bike. I want to go on with you. I want to take a risk again with you. I want to be a man or a woman full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that's why we're standing. And I pray that this day would be a new day for individuals. And I pray, Lord, for Forest Town Church, that it would be a church full of Barnabas figures who just go around giving a hand and lifting up others. Others in the community, others who are hurting and lost and hopeless. Lord, we pray that we'd be those who be Barnabases, who get hold of other people's lives and lift them up and bring them in, that we'll take risks and we'll take the fear and step forward in faith. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.